0: but as it is Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old than the old as ugh, than the old as the as the covenant he, med, he, <laughs> he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises for if that first covenant had been faultless there would have been no occasion to look for a second is ready to vanish away.
1: Let's pray together. Father, we um, thank you for your mercy that you've shown to us continually. We thank you for another day of life that you've given. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to just come and sing praises to you and, and lift hands of praise to you, receive blessing from you. Father, we are blessed to know you, the one true God of the universe, through Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that in our worship that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, Father, I pray for us this morning that you would help that you would help me. And Father. I pray for our people to hear the truth of your word. I pray for our hearts that we would love your word, that we would love what you have to tell us, that we would walk in obedience, not in some self-righteous way, not in some sort of God God owes me way, but in total obedience because of a changed heart that you have done, Father. So I, I pray for us and we plead for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, we have been in a series in the book of Hebrews, and we are in Hebrews chapter 8. If you have a Bible, whether it's one in the chair or if you have one on your phone, you can open, you can turn there right now. We're continuing in chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8. And one of the things that we have experienced and listened to is, is the fact that Jesus is a better priest, that Jesus is a better Moses, that Jesus is high and above. And this is radically a, radically a big, important, massive thing for the kind of listeners that, that, they are, um, that are engaging. From the Is it hot in here? It, are you guys hot? Dude, you know what? Just turn on the air. Let's just turn on the let's turn on the AC, guys. Mike, you're right there. Uh, David, let's turn on some AC. We'll get it going. We run we run into the <laughs> <laughs> and man, you know, if we could turn down those lights too, they'd be all, these stage lights are crazy. Look, I'm just gonna take a I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a, a left turn for a moment, chase a rabbit, and then I'll come back to the to the Bible. Um, hey, look, you guys know or or don't know, probably are aware that we are dealing with and fixing things as we go along uh, in this facility. We are great. God has been so gracious to us um, for us to be in the place where we are in the city that we're at um, to reach the people that do not know Jesus. But there's just a lot of things that have to get done. Some of those things are these these lights. These are these are I mean, they're working, but they're kind of they're kind of old school. They're a lot of electricity. There's like way simpler ways to do this stuff. And, you know, if you're handy and you want to serve like there are ways that we can have you serve and it's going to be helping with property stuff. If you could push a broom, if you can fix something, we have had men come in and fix like the, the fire exit there. Um, we have had other people come and just clean. And so there are ways to serve. And I want to say, encourage you to help come with us and help us with some of those things. Come January, look, we have a brother in our church who's a painter, and just at the cost of the expense of the material, we're going to paint the inside of this because, you know what, we want it to look better uh, because it mattered. People, it kind of matters. People, we know that people in our context, they make their, their experience at home look a certain way. They want it to, like, be nice. And, and we want it to be um, a nice experience in this place that we come and gather. We know that this is just a building, this is just a building. We know that God dwells in us. You know, we, we're a church on mission. This this building is not the mission that uh, we are a people, you know, like the religion of the Old Testament of, hey, come and see the temple. That, that's not the New Testament drive. It is a um, go and tell people about the gospel, the good news of the gospel. Now we gather, but we also scatter. So anyway, little commercial. We need help with stuff. You need to be on mission. We're going to keep calling you to be on mission with us. It's not only sir, but it's also tell others about Jesus. We planted a church singly-minded to reach people that do not know Jesus. We want to see baptisms. We believe that there's a lot of people in our city that do not know Jesus. If you look at stats online, you will see um, uh, very generously that eight percent claim to be kind of Christian in Fullerton proper, Um, and that'd be extremely generous. I mean, that's like all the different Christian churches, and uh, we know that just is not the case. Uh, I, I would not, I would not presume that every single person that's claiming to be a Christian, those 8% are actually Christians. I think, I, we live in a, in a city that is very secular, that does not know Jesus, and we know it, we, we experience it. You know it by, the, by your traffic experiences every single week. Okay, so let's, well, let's get back to, to Hebrews. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus died for sinners, not for angels. angels. He is higher than angels, in a, when, and the, the author of Hebrews is speaking to a context of people where they thought high, of those, thought high of Moses, as they should, as we should, but Jesus is higher and more important. Jesus does uh, some radical things, as we, and we'll come to understand, as we go through the book of Hebrews. He is from the order of Melchizedek, this guy, without beginning, without end, you know, Jesus is eternal. He's, he's bigger and more important than that, and there's two things I want you to see as you dive into the text this morning. One is the fact is the kind of priest that we have in Jesus. Now, we've been hearing a lot about that as we've come to this point, and the point is going to be pushed out really hard by the author of, of Hebrews right here, the very beginning parts of this, this passage here. I want you to see the kind of priest we have and, secondly, the kind of covenant we have with God that is different than the old covenant. I want you to see the kind of priest we have. He is able to actually do things for you that could not be done by the shadows. And I'll explain by the, like, like kind of the, the, um, the things that were meant to point to Christ. They're fulfilled in Christ. And I want you to see the kind of covenant we have, which is radically different from the kind of covenant that God made with his people. So now, let's, let's just... Um, Let's think back a little bit, uh, because these are a couple things that might be new for you, they're not new for everybody, but as you think of things like the kind of priest that Jesus is and the kind of covenant that God has with his people, those sound a little bit uh, different because those aren't, aren't the types of things that we deal with on a daily basis, right? A priest and covenants. I know you read your Bibles, I know you've seen some of that, but I want us to think through the kind of covenant relationship that God has shown Um, has, um, uh, that the people of God have experienced with God over the ages, because God is a covenant God. Now these, the covenant that God has made with people are different than contracts. They're kind of similar, but it's different. And you want to know how they're different? How are they different? It's because they're relational between a person and a person, in this case, between, between God and and a person, or a people, between God and a people. Um, We have uh, a few covenants that I'll list out, and uh, as we think about this, it will help us kind of engage this text here. One of the first covenants we we have to think about is the covenant with Adam. The second is the covenant with Noah. The, The third is the covenant with Abraham. The fourth is the covenant with Israel or Mount Sinai. And the fifth is the covenant with David. Now, maybe that's not what you typically think of when you think of the covenants that God made with people. And then lastly, the new covenant. So l- let me just highlight those just very briefly. The covenant with Adam. Now I know when you read the book of Genesis that you don't see the word covenant for Adam. I know that you don't, you don't, uh, you don't see that. However, the evidence of a covenant relationship are actually there. And the word doesn't have to be used for that to actually be a, a thing that's happening there. You know, it's, uh, you know, God calls them to be obedient to him, and therefore blessing will come. And, and he calls them to do that. And if they are not obedient, then they will not receive blessing, but instead they will receive a curse. You know, Adam, they're told to be fruitful and multiply, for example, and to, and to, um, to, to, to rule the earth, right? And they are told not to eat from a particular tree, but they do eat it and what happens is that they disobey god and they receive the curse from god and that curse affects every single one of us every single day of our lives um, and you experience it in your physical brokenness brokenness and your spiritual brokenness um, one of the bi- massive ones is death for every young person in this room or older person in this room Uh, the the cute babies that we have over here in the rooms right down that way and and right here, um, they will die, of course, unless Jesus returns. They will die. It's kind of a big deal for every single person that we will die, that after 30... Um, your body gets weaker and weaker. You don't get stronger and stronger, contrary to whatever supplement people are trying to sell you on the internet. Like, you will get weaker and weaker and not stronger and stronger. I was reminded of that again while we were at man camp. I got a text um, really early in the morning at about 1.50. I didn't see it till early in the morning. And I'm sure some of you, since you've lived enough life, you've received similar texts or phone calls. And it was from my brother. Please pray for Earl. Now, Earl is his uh, father-in-law. I've known Earl since I was in high school. My brother met his wife in high school, and, um, and uh, super solid guy, A Christian man. When he was dating um, his wife, his wife he, 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 this Earl guy said to my brother um, things like, I think this is the first things he said to him, who's Jesus Christ? Very simple, straightforward dude. It's like the first con- it's kind of awkward and strange. I remember my, my brother and I would like, joke about that, but that was the initial conversation. Tell me who Jesus Christ is. Like you're like, hanging out with my daughter. Who's Jesus Christ? So uh, I would not advise you using that kind of evangelistic strategy, but it was really impactful for my brother as he began to re-wrestle with the gospel, and eventually he believed in Christ, and uh, the same with his, his wife, and, um, and they went on to, to know Jesus and get married. But he said pray for him and then at six in the morning uh, another text he sends me he says hey bro i've got really sad news earl passed away earl passed away dude check this out if, if this is not a reminder of the curse that we all experience in this world it uh, it was for me in these moments as i was s- sitting up at camp and getting the text and, and 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 mourning for my brother and for their family and as they're wrestling through that he he passed away 63 years old uh fit healthy strong hard worker, but here's the beauty, Christian man, loved Jesus, loved his heart, served Jesus, loved his Bible, loved the word of God, loved God with all his heart, but you know what, the Lord took him, and you know, I mean, and it all, it all started with the covenant that God made to Adam, saying, hey, you know what, if you obey me, blessing, and if you disobey, curse, and the curse hits all of humanity, every single one of us, the second covenant that that we see in the Bible is the covenant, or the Noahic covenant, the covenant that God makes with Noah. If you're reading through the book of Genesis, you will see the world gets hectic and insanely sinful, kind of like today, and people are just going crazy. And the scriptures describe them as just kind of always thinking and doing sin and evil and wickedness constantly. And because God is holy and perfect and pure um, and just, He actually has to deal with this issue. And I will not unpack the entire story right now, but what happens is God judges them. However, he rescues a household, Noah and his household, in an ark. The covering of God. God floods the the world, and all these people perish. You know, I've heard people say, could you imagine the claw marks on the ark begging to come in? It must have been a horrific thing to see. But God, in his judgment, killed them. And you know what? They deserved it. They were wicked, and uh, they disobeyed God, and God did a, a restart. And, but here's the thing. God did a covenant of preservation, and then what he did is he, he said, said, showed Noah this bow, a rainbow, and said, this is the covenant I'm making with humanity. I'm not going to wipe it out, wipe out the world with water again. I'm not going to do that. It was a new beginning. It was a covenant that God made with humanity, and it demonstrated his amazing salvation, his justice, and how he continues to make promises, and he keeps them. And to this day, we see a bow, a rainbow. Now, culture takes and steals The rainbow and isn't it curious that culture would steal something like the rainbow a covenant that god has meant to show us the fact that he will never do that again and take it and and misuse it for their own pleasure and it's a fair warning by the way the the, satan and his minions wants to deceive the church and people to not go god and will take things that are true and twist them around so that they are not used properly Namely, a rainbow. The third covenant we see is the covenant with Abraham. And this is a, cov- a covenant about the offspring to come and blessing and, and the, pr- the promise of, of ble- offspring, land, and, and, uh, and blessing. And, uh, and God does that and fulfills it. If you read the book of Galatians, we see, we see how he fulfills that in Christ. The fourth covenant is the covenant with Israel, Mount Sinai. And we know this is actually where we have god giving them the ten commandments and what happens over and over they actually disobey god and they do their own thing and they go their own way and what happens is god chastises them and sends them in exile Now, exile is brutal. That is being taken captive, being taken away from their place of worship and and the relationship with God. Why? The question has to be asked why. Because I know at times you might ask that same question. You run into situations in your life where it gets really crazy, it gets really hard, and you just ask, I don't get it, God, why? And here is an answer to why they are dealing, they dealt with the issue they did by being taken of exile. It would be so that they would be disciplined and turned to God And plead to come back, because it's sometimes it's the only way that God will get our attention. Because when things are super, super good, we don't naturally just say, "Oh, hey God, I want you." Next covenant we see is the covenant with David. David, David is—he is promised to be the uh, to rule the world. Isn't it interesting that Adam was to to rule over the world, but it ends up that it's going to be fulfilled through. Through the offspring of david and that is fulfilled in christ jesus who actually has come to rule the world and then lastly we have a transition from all those other covenants to a new covenant a covenant where god actually changes the heart so that's some of the framework as we go into this passage right here. I just want us to hear that and think about that before we go into the passage. Um, it starts, in, I'm going to start in chapter 7, verse 28. It says this, this, it says, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. We know that the priests that were appointed by these other, the other priests through Aaron, through Levites, were were men they were sinful they made mistakes when we know that when they had to make offerings to God in the Holy of Holies they had to deal with their own sin but Jesus is nothing like that he has no sin to deal with on his own he is perfect and holy and obedient so, so that's why it says for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son jesus who has been made perfect forever then he goes on to say now the point in what we are saying is this we have such a high priest what's he talking about a perfect high priest not a fallible high priest that has to deal with his own sin and if he doesn't he dies in his service to god or one that, that others that have to actually just, they, they, they die anyway, and you need others to be born and, and do the work. Jesus is not like that. But it says, a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now, it's important that we understand something about this, uh, the, this particular type of priesthood and this this sitting at the right hand in the ancient world kings surrounded themselves with a guy their right hand guy the person that sat at the right hand had the most power and the most authority all around him. there was no one in the land that had that much power and authority as the, the right hand man and what he is saying what the author of hebrews is saying to these people is jesus is that guy but he's a better one than they actually know of Now the point and what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, referring to God, by the way, the majesty is referring to Yahweh, to God, and it's in heaven. A minister in the holy places, in the, here we go, not just tent, but the true tent that the Lord set up, not Man, Now, he's going to actually go on to explain this in more detail, but I want to address it on a, on a bigger level, just, and then we'll come back and we'll continue to read the passage here. We know that at Mount Sinai, God gave the law to Moses and Israel and gave in specific instructions on how to make this place of worship. It was like a mobile church where God would meet them. And what he's going to say in the passages to come is that that is merely a copy of something much greater than what they're experiencing. But it is about heavenly realities. And here's the thing. He ministers in holy places in the true tent, meaning that he is carrying out a particular kind of ministry while he's sitting at the the right hand of God For us, that is not that that what people saw on earth was merely a shadow of what was to come. Now, let me just read and we'll come back and we'll talk more about this. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So Jesus is actually offering something. We're going, to come back, we're, we're going to deal with that. The question is, well, well what is Jesus offering? Uh, what's going on there? And that question is answered. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Now, this is a strange thing to read at first, but it's actually really simple. What he's saying is when Jesus was on earth, he did not have priestly duties. Did you know that? There were priests born through, uh, come through the line of Aaron, the Leviticus priests that had those duties. Jesus did not have those duties on earth. He was, and he was not born of, and I told you last week, he was not even born through the tribe that did that particular job. That's what the author of Hebrews is seeing right now. Because a Hebrew audience or people that are familiar with the Bible would know, oh, isn't, wouldn't it be unlawful for Jesus to be a priest since he wasn't born through that line? They would know that. It continues, Now, if he went on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern. That was shown you on the mountain, all right? He had to make it according to a pattern, something that it was, was a shadow of something much bigger. And we will explain that. But before we do, but it as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Do you see that word, mediates? Typically, so Jesus is mediating something for us right now, but we don't typically think that way as good Protestant Christians. We typically think in terms of Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross, and we should think about that. Jesus paid for sin in time on the cross so that our sins are washed away, uh, God's wrath is satisfied, Um, he has atoned for sin once for all. That is true, doctrinally. And we should think about that and believe that. And as the scriptures go on here, there's something else being addressed here that we don't typically think about. And that is that Jesus is actually continuing a particular ministry on our behalf. He is mediating something. What do mediators do in a court of law? They deal with issues between one party and another. Jesus, although he has accomplished what he has accomplished on the cross, continues to do something that a priest on earth never could do for us, and that is he, can, he is arbitrating between the Father and us continually. He is doing that. There's other things that, that Jesus is doing that we don't typically think of. Well, things that he has not done that he will do. Have you ever thought of the fact that one day he will vindicate his church? He, Jesus will vindicate the church, brothers and sisters. The church has been harmed and wronged and beheaded. We know that. We read the rest of the Bible and you see the suffering. Just listen to other Christians throughout the world, throughout history, that have suffered. Jesus is going to vindicate his church publicly. In addition, he will also judge the nations. This is something that he has not done yet, by the way. He has not judged the nations, but we are coming to a point in history when uh, we will see that. We will be there and experience what, and see what God will do when he vindicates his church and judges the nations. It's kind of a terrifying thing. But God is good and God is just, but that, that is something that he is going to do. So as good Protestants, we, only, we typically only think of, of the point on the cross and that it was complete and it's finished, and we need to be reminded of that, constantly to remember that. But Jesus is also doing something, a priestly duty, that the earthly priest could never do. He is medi- mediating between Father and us. Did you know this is important because we actually have this problem Um, among us on earth and that is the evil one Satan the accuser what is he called he's called the accuser of the brothers he is he accuses you aren't there times when you think oh my goodness if I just didn't do what I did I would probably feel better about myself I feel shame I feel guilt but those are things from the enemy those are not things from, from God that we're supposed to listen to. Those are things from the enemy. Now, that might be your own sin, but I'm telling you, we have an accuser. You are free in Christ. You are, you are saved by his grace. You, you are no longer captive and a slave to your sin. Those are things that God has accomplished for us through Christ. But still, we have an accuser. But here's the thing. We have a mediator who's sti- there ministering in heavenly realms on our behalf. So now, if we go back, and uh, we'll see that, he, that the that the author of Hebrews he says, hey, look, this priestly thing that took case that 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 actually um, that happened in history was um, a shadow of some uh, future reality of a is basically what he says. And I, and I wanted to help us think about it like this. I heard um, one. I heard John Piper say it like this. I thought this was like really awesome. He said you probably remember at some point in your life that you got lost or um, separated from your from your mom in some way if you had the great privilege of having a mother you're you're holding her hand because you're such a good kid and you're listening to her and you're in the grocery store and and you're walking around and for whatever reason in a moment you kind of you kind of lose her you kind of lose her and uh you're a kid so your categories are kind of new, like she leaves for a moment, and it maybe feels more like, whoa, she's gone, or, or maybe not really, you know, you, you just kind of lose her in the store, just for a second, she kind of turns a corner, she probably sees you, but you don't see her, because you're a small person, you don't get it yet, and all you see is, is you know, crackers, and and things, and you're in an aisle, and you see strangers, and you start to panic, and your heart starts to race. That ever happened to any of you, like in the mall, like old school mall, when you're wandering, when when moms just thought, oh yeah, no, they're just kind of following me, and they didn't look, and you just kind of started wandering around, you got lost in the mall? That happened to me, by the way, last week. That happened to me when I was a little kid. That didn't happen to you? Maybe you had better parents, I don't know. So, so you get lost, and then suddenly, you're you're panicking, you're holding, your tears are about to rain out of you, and you see a shadow of something that looks like your mother. But it's not your mom. But it looks like your mom. And joy and safety starts to come back, and you go to it, and then you see the real thing, and it's your mom. I'll say it this way, because this will make more sense for people that are kind of living life right now. Here's the deal: baseball is on, whether you're an Astros fan or a Dodgers fan, Astros, Dodgers. I see both hats represented in this room right now. There's gun- uh, church split. So anyway, so we, we, we know that uh, we, we want the Dodgers to do better. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't have to. Oh, anyway, so apparently I lost the first game. It's okay. You'll be all right. If you watch or have ever watched or if you're a true fan or you had to watch it on TV and not be present in the real game, you know that when you're watching it on a TV that it is one thing and it's cool. You get it. You follow. But isn't it a shadow compared to being on the, on the field and seeing the real thing and smelling the grass and, and whatever else? See, I'm not like a big baseball fan, so I don't know, man. Penny pitcher I don't know about. But isn't it totally different, though, honestly? Because I'm not a huge baseball fan, but when I go to the field and I see it, it's way more interesting, and it's more real than watching it on a television. And you know it. And what the author of Hebrews is telling them is, hey, look, even though you experienced and saw and you have heard about the sacrificial system and what took place, um, they served, in verse 5, a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And here's the thing. Because the reality is, even though they would see an, an example of a priest, they, we would finally understand a priest that could accomplish what needed to be accomplished for us. One who can mediate for us on a continual basis and actually not die and actually forgive sin. That's what, that's what he's saying right here. Then he goes from talking about this better priest that we have to the new covenant. And there's a few realities that I want us to see that are different in this new covenant from the old covenant. And I'm going to go through that and then we're gonna get, we'll get practical. For if that first, in verse 7, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, it's not as if God's plan failed. He's actually going to unpack where the failure comes from. It's not with God. It is with people. For he finds fault when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. By the way, you are Israel. You who are, who are saved by grace are Israel. And with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For, here's the fault, for they did not continue in my covenant. They did not continue in this covenant. They broke it. Every single one of them it's kind of a big problem and so i showed no concern for them declares the lord in other words what he is saying is he disciplined them of course god loved them but the way you need to understand this is a discipline that that took place that he allowed them to be conquered and so he showed no concern he didn't rescue them from that but he actually let them go through it and it was terrible but he, he did so so that they would, by God's grace, turn and say, God, we need you. And isn't that what we need to do, brothers and sisters? You know, my, everything might be right in your life right now. I mean, you are experiencing goodness. And um, it's just easy. And you have enough money. And your marriage is good. And uh, kids are doing good. And... Don't we need to be reminded continually to draw near to God? Because isn't that actually what it says in in Hebrews 7? And then also in the following chapters, 7, 19, 4, the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope, and it was introduced through which we draw near to God. The benefit of this new covenant, the benefit of this better priest is that we can draw near to God. And yet, we don't do that all the time. And so first, I, wanna, I want us to see the realities that come from this new covenant. And then I want to address this drawing near to him on a practical level. But he says this. He says, for this covenant that we'll, we'll make with the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord, um, I will, number one, here's the first reality we'll see. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. This is so simple, but it is so radical. Because we, if we are, we, our hearts are wicked and sinful because of the first man, Adam. You know, in theology, we talk about total depravity. We talk about, uh, we we basically, our our leanings, our desires are not given toward God naturally. We are given towards God death and sin and not the right thing and rebelling against god and when you read the bible and you look at history that is all we ever see brothers and sisters and if we pause and we have quiet enough in our own hearts we see some pretty dark things don't we if we're honest but here is the radical thing that god does with a new covenant is that god does something inwardly in us he says I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. That's a new covenant language. That's why we talk about regeneration. Regeneration is about getting a new heart from God, a heart that is made alive, a heart that was once dead that is made alive. Isn't it kind of familiar? Like we see a picture of that somewhere in the Bible. How about Jesus losing his dear friend Lazarus who dies and his sisters are dealing with it and they're Jesus you just were here sooner and they're freaking out over it and you know when someone dies it's 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 rough most of us if not all of us have been there uh friends family whoever neighbor and they are broken over it and Jesus goes to the tomb that Lazarus is buried in and he's dead and the Bible says that he stinks so he's rotting he's dead and he's rotting he's been dead a few days And Jesus does something amazing. He actually calls to him, and Lazarus comes out of the tomb. A dead man comes out of the tomb. And isn't that the picture of us before we knew Jesus? If that is not the picture that you do have, brothers and sisters, that is the picture that you need to have. To understand the grace and the mercy that was shown to you and me by god it is about a new heart it is about a changed heart it is about a dead man coming alive we were dead in our sins we were we were antagonistic to god we were laying in the spiritual grave with our middle finger pointed at god every one of us and yet god does this amazing thing And here is one of the first realities that we understand with the new covenant is that I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. This is a new heart. This is an inner working that God does. And so if you are saved, if you call yourself a Christian, it is all about the grace of God. And as we evangelize and share the good news with gospel, if we have that kind of furniture in our heads, We're going to understand better how to love people, and when they mistreat us because they don't want to hear the message of the gospel, it doesn't shock us. They're like, of course, of course this person is antagonistic to Christianity. Of course this person is antagonistic to God. Uh, Wasn't I? Uh, I believe in the power of the gospel as long as they're not mean to me. But hey, guys, this is about a new heart. And you have been given that, brothers and sisters. And if you're sitting here today and maybe it's new for you or you're not quite there, or maybe you're curious about God, you like God for the first time, I'm telling you that is because God is doing something to you, and it's not that you are doing something to God. It is the same when we see in the book of Acts with Lydia, uh, she is having this Bible study and Paul goes and he's preaching the gospel and the scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 16 that God opened her heart so that she would be able to understand the things that Paul was talking about. This is about what the author of Hebrews is talking about. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Her being able to understand what Paul was talking about was an act of God's mercy and not an act of her amazing mind. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember as we do the work of evangelism in the city in which God has placed us, in the neighborhoods in which God has placed you, we have to remember that we are dealing with people whose hearts are darkened by sin that don't know him, and we still struggle with sin. We are people that can sympathize with him. This will help us to show, be more merciful to them, and understand, like, where they're coming from. The second reality that I want us to see is this. Um is that we actually have a close relationship with God because of what God actually does through the new covenant that he provides. And he says it through the very next section of the verse. So he goes on to say, and write them on their hearts, and the next line is, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Those are radical words. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Do you realize that you are God's people? Do you realize that he is, do you realize that you have a close relationship we should have a close relationship with God. Now, I don't know how often you draw near to God because that is really the question for us. That is the practical implication. Do we know this God who has regenerated and, re- and revived, re- made alive our dead hearts and we have, we have close, therefore have a close relationship with him, do we actually draw near to him the way he says? Because that's your responsibility. Oh, brother and sister with a new heart. It's you and I that need to get on our knees. It's you and I that need to be time, have time and quiet with God and seek him. He wants that opportunity. He loves that with you. you are, he is your God, and you are his people. You are heirs. Looking to Christ, of course, who took care of everything for us. Do you not know that you can know and be close to him because of what he has done? And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Third reality that that comes from the new covenant language that that the author of Hebrews talks about and the scriptures talk about is this. That everyone who enters into this relationship with God by him changing our heart, our heart of stone into a heart of flesh and uh, giving us a new heart. Know God. Listen to what it says. And verse 11, And they shall not teach each other, one his neighbor, e- and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Those are amazing words. You, you, I don't know, we should have um, awesome oppor- moments where we remember people that, where we came to know Jesus and we didn't know him and we come into relationship with Him. Now, we know that there's a pathway of maturity, and you need to hear preaching of the Word, and you need to read the Bible, and you need to have conversations with other Christians about who God is, and there's maturity that has to take place. But here's the thing. The Scripture says when you come into this relationship by Him making the dead heart alive, that you actually know Him. It says, they shall not n- teach each his neighbor And each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now the implication is that there is a level of maturity. There is like the least and the greatest. You do need to, you need to be in Bible study. You need to be in a branch group. You need to rub shoulders with other Christians so that you're maturing. They are dealing with other life issues that you are dealing with. There's, you know, otherwise what we do is we go our own way. When we deal with issues we don't know what to do with, we just make up a way. Instead of looking to what God has to say. But the amazing thing, brothers and sisters, is it says that you know him. That you know things that his spirit will, will, will tell you and inform you. The scriptures will align you and, and redirect you and, and guide you. But you'll know him. And the fourth reality of the new covenant is this was four things, right? The first is the inward heart that has changed. The second is the close relationship with God that you have, that you need to take advantage of, that we need to take advantage of. Over and over, the author of Hebrews says, draw near to God because of this amazing priest that we have. Because we have a priest who that has opened the way for us to have a relationship with God in a very intimate way, even though he is radically holy and we are radically sinful. He makes us clean so that we can actually draw near to God now and have a close relationship according to what he says. That's an amazing truth. An amazing truth. And the last is this, that our sins are are dealt with, that he remembers our sins no more. It says in verse 12, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old and ready to vanish away. In other words, it grows old like an old person. It dies, and the new one has come forward. And we are in that age, brothers and sisters. But the fourth reality of the new covenant that we need to, to pay attention to is the fact that our sins are forgiven. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, I will remember their sins no more. Did you know that God remembers your sins no more? When you are dealing with the accusation from the evil one, do you not know? Do you, can you remember? You should remember the reality of the new covenant is, wait a second. No, I have a changed heart. No, I can draw near to God. No, I actually know God, and you know what? He's actually forgiven my sins. Or do you say, I'm so depressed. I've sinned so bad. There's no one as sinful as me. I'm going to withdraw from community. I'm not going to talk to another Christian. Dude, that's exactly what the evil one wants to do, by the way. The evil one wants you not to be in community because someone in community will say, dude, I, I get it. I, you might be chemically depressed. You, I'm not going to just tell you to suck it up. Like, it's not that simple. I know it's hard. I know you don't want to be with them. But here's the deal. If you are not in community, you, it, it is hard to be reminded of those things. Like, even the first man, Adam, tried to get out of community when he sinned. When you go to the very first book, what does God say to him? Adam, where are you? God knows where he, Adam is, by the way. Just, you know, aunt, you know, just anyway, sorry to ruin the, the movie, but he, God actually knows where Adam is, but he's saying, Adam, where are you? Because he knows he's hiding, and Adam's hiding, and that's what we do when we, when we feel shame and guilt. Now certainly God provides a way for them, he kills the enemy, covers them, and he, and he, he brings them to a place of safety, but the scriptures tell us very clearly one of the realities of the new covenant is that our sins are forgiven and forgotten by God. So here's the thing, if this is true, if we have such a high priest who has made this new covenant, that we have to be a people who are drawing near to God. And so my big question for you as you go into your branch groups this week or you're in your quiet time is do you draw near to God? Do you get time of rest during the day at some point? I don't care if it starts with just two minutes. I hear guys and men in particular say things, I am so busy I just don't have time to read the Bible. But I have time to go to a baseball game. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, like there is time to rest. I mean, it just start with two minutes of, God, I need you right now. I'm just going to take two minutes. I'm going to take five minutes, whether it's at work or it's in the afternoon. But you have the opportunity, you have the responsibility to draw near to God. Take some rest and be in the presence of God because you are, have a new covenant relationship with him. And you can take, you are missing out on the blessings of that if we do not take advantage of that. Or at some point in the week, I think it should be every day and every week and every month. Every Christian should have time where they just say, they put everything aside, and they say, God, I'm just going to be still and know that you are my God. I'm going to draw near to you. What an amazing priest I have in Jesus Christ. What an amazing covenant keeper you are, God, that I can come into the throne room safely without being burned alive. I can be in your presence, and you, I know that you, I am a child of you because of what Jesus has done for me and not what I've done for myself. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I pray that we would um, submit ourselves to your word. We pray for your help, and I pray that we would be a people who draw near to you because of the kind of amazing priests we have in Christ, because, because of the covenant that you make with us. In Jesus' name, amen.